Thank you for tuning into the Hope When There Was None podcast. And here we share stories to educate you, to empower you and inspire. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Please do me a favor and share if you have a favorite episode, or maybe you think somebody else that needs a dose of positivity and to maybe break open some of the darkness, let there be light. So thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. I hope you enjoy this episode. And good morning. I am live. This is Melinda Kunst coming live on Hope When There Was None. If you haven't visited my page before, this is where you can find out about abuse. I focus on abuse, domestic violence, and so on. Also emotional traumas, whether it's uh, divorce, separation, non-abusive situation. Uh, It could be that you've had uh, some sort of loss pregnancy loss, miscarriage, um, abortion, sickness, chronic illness. So I do bring quite a bit. I have wonderful guests that will be coming on and sharing their stories. And I've been blessed. It's been a blessing to watch people come on, share their survivor stories. And they go on to many wonderful things or their counselors, their coaches, and so on and so on. And they bring forward their expertise. And uh, so I can better serve you. So the month of October, I'm really excited. I have, uh, I believe it's five, five different, make that four, take that back, I think three lives, and then uh, three or four more survivor stories. So um, I'll be telling those anonymously, but I'll be bringing them to you. Uh, And I'm really excited about that. I also have Marina that's going to talk about shadow work, I don't have the dates in front of me. Miss Penny's going to come on and talk about uh, coaching, what she does for younger women. Hi, Leela. Good morning or good afternoon. I don't know what time of the day it is in your your part of the world. And also um, my friend Sandy's supposed to come on and talk about menopause, but I do have to get that scheduled with her. So I'm pretty excited about that. So what do you need to know when you go into that courtroom? It could be very overwhelming, this whole process. You're on a roller coaster of emotions. And so you are, you may not even be in the frame of mind right now to comprehend any of this. I know I wasn't when I first jumped in. All My mind was really clouded. Uh, a lot of the terms that were being used, yeah, some of them are no-brainers. But at the same time, when you're going through the thick, thick of all this, your brain, your brain might be mush. So let's dive into this. What terms that you should know? So what is a, I'm going to start out with a GAL. Now it is a GAL or you can have a CASA, but a GAL is a guardian ad litem. Now this person, okay, is a representative of the court. They are appointed to represent your child, your best interests of your child during a divorce or maybe separation, parental rights, responsibilities, that sort of thing. So the GAL is supposed to investigate the whole family situation and advise the court where the child should be, where they should live, what type of contact the parents should have with their children. Now, can this go sideways? Yes, I I can think of a um, Kara with with Kowski. I might be saying your name, Kara, wrong. wrong. I am very sorry. But her son, James, there was some mishandlement in that case. Unfortunately, he's passed away. But the GAL on that case has since been excused from practicing. She is no longer able to or is allowed to be a GAL. So there can be, there are some bad seeds. 
And out of that, I've heard different CASAs, as, as you well know, or if you don't, I am a CASA, and that's a court-appointed special advocate. And we do look out for the best interests of the children, too. We're looking at the parents to see where should the children reside with and kind of doing a little digging, but we're doing this in the best interest of the children. Now, like with any agency and any type of position, there can be mishandlement. There can be uh, some that are maybe swayed by people that are more affluent. Sometimes when you are a victim Let's just say the court doesn't always recognize victims' rights. There are some times when men and women falsify reports. So this can kind of cloud situations. This can cloud people from their judgment. I don't know. It, it's it's a bad taste. It leaves a bad taste in legal representation, in the court system, also law enforcement, and then you have those that go back and forth. But anyway, we're looking out for the best judgment of the children. We should be. So there is some things that I know I'm not too happy with when you read about these stories are horrific, and I don't understand how they can side. And he even hearing some stories from my own gals that are in the Survivor's Cafe, it just, it's heartbreaking. It's like, how can this person not see that this other person is harming their children? And I don't get it. I don't know, but that's another video. But that's what the guardian of litem is supposed to do. Now, with the guardian of litem, you might have to pay out of pocket for that. Now, their fees have been from, I think I've seen on the low side, $100 on up to $300. As far as I know, I'm in Indiana. It might be different in other parts of the world. I don't know. Also, I don't know if there's other advocates that look out for the best interests. Leela, you are an India gal. If you can tell me, is there something like that in your area? Or whoever's watching this, if you're over overseas, you're not in the States, do you have some kind of program that looks out for the children? I'd like to know. Um, put it in the comment section. So what is a divorce mediation and how is it different than an arbitration? Now, a divorce mediation this is a process where you're divorcing spouses, okay? You're trying to negotiate um, an acceptable terms, an agreement to the divorce. And this is with the help of a neutral third party, it's supposed to be a neutral third party. And this is the moderator. The moderator helps the spouses communicate and negotiate. It doesn't, they don't necessarily make the decisions for you. So it's just like somebody being a coach. Okay, this person wants this, this person wants that. Both the mediation and the arbitration, they involved, a, they should involve a neutral third party, okay, who's going, they're not acting as the judge. They're just like a go-between. In the mediation, the neutral party has no power to make these decisions. Again, they're not a judge. This is just a neutral party. I'm, I'm just saying this again. Okay. Now the arbitrator, they listen to the facts and they decide the case. Now, just like a judge would, the parties, although the parties can present evidence and make arguments, they have no say in the final decision. Okay, so I know that could be a little bit hairy. And I didn't know what the difference was myself. Now with visitation, supervised visitation and just regular visitation, this is an arrangement that's set out. It's like a contract that you decide, agreement that you decide between um, maybe that mediator who who does the child stay with? Uh, how many overnights? Uh, there's just a number of ways, uh, flexible schedules. How do we do this with holidays and so on and so on? And 
whoever is a custodial parent can really get a lot more say in that kind of but it, the structured visitation schedule this is including holidays weekends summers overnights vacations and also supervised visitation so with supervised visitation it's a little bit different so let's say if one person has custody that that parent has the authority to make some long-range decisions in theory regarding the health and the education and religious decisions of the child okay now the parent who doesn't have legal custody should not attempt to subvert those decisions but you know it does happen honestly it does for example if a parent with legal custody has decided to raise a child as a jew in a jewish tradition the parent with the visitation rights should not take that that child to be baptized in a baptist church okay um but these things happen i've heard of situations going sideways and so on and so on so how do you do that supervised visitation that's usually let's say something you don't believe the child, maybe a GAL, CASA, or maybe it's just decided that the children's best interest would not to have that parent, the other parent, have these children alone. So what there is, maybe another person brought in, it might be grandma, grandpa might come in and they host the supervised visit in their home, at a park, at a, in a public setting for an hour, two hours, three hours, or whatever it is that the court does say or mediator does set um, also with that it could be held at a facility if perhaps there needs to be some observation now for us we had supervised visitation that was at my mother-in-law's my then now my ex-mother-in-law and um, we had it there but there were several incidents where the police were involved now the last incident was my daughter called Miss Jessica, she called the police because she was scared. I was nowhere near this place. I dropped the girls off and um, dad would wait until that was supposed to be the plan. He would wait like an hour later and then he would come or half hour, whatever it is, after I've gone for my safety. Now, the something happened. I wasn't there. I only know what happened afterwards. The police were called. Jess called the police because she was scared. It was overheard that if if I were to get full custody of the kids, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, that he would slit the kids' throats, the girls' throats. So Jess heard that, and she had a friend with her, Ms. V, at the same time, and they heard this, Jess got scared. Well, wouldn't you be? Someone's going to slit your throat? So the police were called. Well, afterwards, we had an emergency, definitely had an emergency court hearing, and they decided at that point in time, it was no longer safe to do this at my uh, my mother-in-law's house. So they had it at, it's called the Children's Playhouse. It's, I don't know if it's still there. That's in Maryville, Indiana, where they did have a session there. They had a few sessions, maybe, but it got violent again. At that time, since it did erupt in an argument, they decided, uh, they kind of dragged it out where he didn't have visitation anymore. And I know there was some, some talk uh, with his attorney there about continuing visitation, but I withheld it. Anyway, how do you determine that visitation schedule? Hey, my love. The courts do encourage the parents to work together. Sometimes you can't do that, though, not safely. They do encourage you to work together, though, to determine this visitation schedule, what's in the best interest of the child. So work and school schedules, family traditions, distance of the parents' homes, what about other siblings, family members, and so on? Are there health requirement requirements? Are there other personal um, issues that might affect the visitation? These are things that are thought of because they're unique, okay? If the parents 
are able to work together, they're going to set a schedule that's going to benefit the children's needs and accommodate the parents. Hopefully, this doesn't always happen. Even in the best of separations and divorce, this doesn't always happen, but hopefully it does. The court, uh, they do have that mediation resources to help assist in this. Court certified mediators are available in every county to provide just a neutral assistance to allow the parents to meet the needs of their children. Okay. Now, again, all of this still, you hear stories of crooked officials and so on. That happens. There's, there's some bad eggs. Hopefully that doesn't happen to everybody. Now, who can be awarded visitation? Now, obviously, the biological parents usually awarded visitation. Now, things can happen sideways. I've heard some really far out stories of how a biological parent doesn't have custody. It's given to an aunt, an uncle, a grandma or grandpa instead. And it's very, very crazy on how some of these work. I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Uh, and it's very scary. It's very sad. If grandparents, maybe if they, the parents aren't married or aren't currently divorced, um, maybe those step parents, they can be award visitation rights. While there's no reported causes of brothers or sisters given visitation, um, a strong argument, maybe that can be made if it's in the best interest of the child. Maybe there's something happen where the parents are um, drug users or subs you know, some sort of substance abuse. Uh, maybe that's involved. And so the younger children do go stay with brother or sister instead, or, or they are allowed visitation. I don't know. Every situation is different. It's They're not all going to fit this. But I'm just trying to give you some information about the terms that are thrown around. Okay. Again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a counselor. I'm just somebody that's been through the war. Now, when can visitation be denied? So if a child is, if it is found that the child has an unsafe situation, it's important that the problem be brought up to attention right away to court or at whatever agencies are appropriate. This, the court has the power to deny visitation to the parent, but normally the court stops visitation um, like for a certain time. If there's a certain task that needs to be performed, uh, let's say they, they're behind on child support or something like that. If a parent with the primary residency denies the ordered visitation, the parent who has been denied visitation can file action uh, of contempt, contempt or maybe even modify the existing order. Now, I know this because I thought for sure I was going to go to jail. I didn't, but I thought for sure I was. Now, are the rights contingent? on payment again of child support, vice versa, something that the court has ordered that other parent to do. The court can't really deny the visitation to the non-custodial parent, but um, uh, sometimes there's parents that do stop payment and that doesn't mean they're, they're supposed to withhold visitation, but you could take your, that parent to court let them know that they're in contempt too of not paying for that child support. I, I don't know that that's, you're getting a little bit hairy there. Uh, not caught, you know, if you're not following what the courts ordered, that can be in contempt. You can get into trouble with that. 
and there is possibility of jail time. Now, I don't know how, by the grace of God, how I avoided that, but I did. So when is supervised visitation or those monitored visitations appropriate? Now, just as I mentioned, if it's something there where the child is thought that they are in danger, that there's some sort of safety issues, there are those centers like the children's play, a treehouse that I mentioned. So when there's some difficult circumstances, there's a need of a help of that moderator, perhaps, or some sort of neutral third party, they'll arrange for that visitation. So emotions are running high with the parents. I know, been there, done that. So it's for the children's best interests that they should be considered a situation or a place that is uh, neutral, that is a safety. They have maybe a security guard, something of that, of that nature, or those exchanges. Maybe it needs to be in a facility or a spot where those exchanges can be safely monitored. Um, now, <sighs> there are staff there that closely monitor. They might even record the situations, video or audio, to ensure that the children and parent time is good, that interaction is safe and good. Now, the monitored arrangements is, again, it's a neutral third party that is taking care of those prearranged visits. It's a prearranged time and so on. And when, I, when we did this supervised visitation at a facility, Again, there was like a half hour time. Uh, we 15, to minute, 15 minutes to half hour where I would have to get in there and get out before I crossed paths with him. And this wasn't something that they said. This was something that I brought to the attention that I needed to be safe for myself. And um, so I had to, again, advocate for myself to make sure, okay, he is not supposed to be there while I'm there. So I had to make sure that I had a safe exit and so on. There's nothing to say that he can't pop in there like a half hour, an hour before he could have, but luckily he didn't. Now, uh, just maybe, again, staggering those drop-off times, those pickup times, that can help so you don't have contact with one another and you don't want to have some sort of explosive situation going on. But notify the staff, too, if you have a situation like this. So when should you consider using like what are those supervised visitations or so on? Now, if you're working to improve maybe your parenting skills, maybe you have, or that other parent has a drug or alcohol problem, uh, there's some abuse going on, maybe there's trouble controlling anger, uh, there is some inappropriate sexual behavior with the children going on or child, monitoring these exchanges can be very helpful as described, okay? Now, if that parent doesn't have maybe a primary residence, maybe they're homeless, excuse me, maybe they're in between, they're maybe wherever they're staying isn't safe. So this facility might be really good. In that, in that case, maybe there is no anger issues. Maybe there's no, uh, maybe they're getting themselves on the road to recovery. So um, there's no sexual worries there that they might've been molesting their children. So maybe they don't have to be unsupervised, but they still need to be in a facility there to, um, just to have a safe environment. So it could be something like that. Uh, if you're, if there's a history of domestic violence, of course, we want to make sure that the kids are safe. Uh, we don't want to make, we don't want any violence and it wants to be recorded or monitored if there is any violence towards the children. So 
How do you arrange for these? Most people get these on a referral of courts. It's not something that you can do yourself. You might be able to ask uh, family services. There is also CPS or Child Protective Ser Services, uh, DCS, Department of Children and Family Services. So others can negotiate visitation arrangements. You can talk to your attorney about that too if you have any, any concerns, because I know I've brought it up with other with people that I talk to that I coach and I say, Hey, have you talked about having a GAL or a CASA in the case? And they're like, I don't know how to get one or those services. Aren't they only for children that are in foster care? No, they are for any child that has needs. So um, may ask for that referral. Ask it, you can't, it can't hurt anything, right? It doesn't cost anything to ask. So please consider doing so. Check the messages. Okay, so Leela, it's nighttime. It's eight o'clock over there. <laughs> well, good evening to you now. So again, I'm not an attorney. Uh, please ask your advocate if you're at a shelter or if you still have contact with somebody that's an advocate for you. Talk with that attorney, legal aid or so on. Educating yourself on the system or about the system and questioning everything is really important right now. You're paying for, a, let's say, an attorney or so on, or maybe you're blessed with a pro bono attorney. It's ask them questions. Don't hesitate to ask them. And uh, you want to inquire and invoice your concerns. Trying to keep, you know, it's not easy also to try and keep your emotions in check, but please, as much as you can, try and keep them in check. And it can be tough. Of course, you don't want to come off as really calm and unfeeling, and they're going to be like, well, why are you asking for this when you're not showing any emotion at all? And there can be a disconnect there. I know I experienced that myself. It's, you can almost feel numb at a certain point in time. And it's very, can be very hard to show emotions where inside you're going crazy. But everything, it, it's just like a like the house is falling down on you and you don't know how to act or how to move. And so I get that. I understand. But you don't want to come off also as the crazy one or the one that's the issue, having the issues. And I know this is the tough part, but please do so. So take notes, ask questions. If you need to take somebody with you during these times when you go visit the attorney during court. Now, they can't come in the courtroom with you, but they can actually sit outside. They might be able to uh, take notes and catch things that you didn't. I know I was a million miles away at times, so I wasn't able to always catch different notes or different things that maybe the judge said or the attorney said or so on and so on. Um, you don't want to miss a thing. And I know you can't really record this on a, a device yourself, but again, having that other party there, they might be able to listen in and um, catch some things that you can't. So think about the things that you want to ask your attorney or your legal aid before you go to your proceedings. And I know it's almost always the time where I would think, um, I would not have any questions if they ask, well, does anybody have any questions or do you all understand this? And then afterwards I, Oh yeah, I forgot to ask them about this. So if you can think about your questions as they come or before you get into that courtroom, that helps, but be reliable, be upfront and be honest. And remember, you do have your children or your pets. This could be fur babies, too. Uh, remember, you do have them. So you want to be as, as dependable as you can as well. So um, if your attorney or your legal representation doesn't appear to be maybe having your best interests, maybe they're being really wishy-washy where you think they should be a lot stronger, remember this person works for you. If they aren't doing what they should be, if you think what they should be, you can fire them. You do have that power, too. So don't be afraid to fire them. You can do this. I know you're surprised. Maybe I know I was, I didn't even think about that. You could fire your doctors. You could fire your attorneys. Like what? Really? Yes, you can. If it's your bad, it's your, not your back. It's um, 
it's you that counts. Again, you are your best advocate. Um, make sure that you feel comfortable with the person that you're getting representation for. Now, you want to pick somebody that you can work with, that's someone that has that trauma background or that's worked with, with people that have um, abuse, somebody of that nature. It's somebody that's a little empathetic to you, too. You don't want someone that's just... Um, a jerk. You can actually do a lot of this divorce and separation stuff yourself just to get that ball rolling. I know some some people that stay in that relationship or the, maybe they are separated. They haven't divorced yet because they have to save up for that attorney. Well, you can get the ball rolling with that divorce or that separation on your own. There is paperwork. There's actually videos that many of the courthouses have that can walk you through with the steps that you need. Now, the people where you're filing that paperwork, they might not be able to help you, but um, you can actually get this started rather un inexpensively, like for under $100 as an example, or maybe under $150, depending on where you live. So if you're really wanting to get that divorce, but you're waiting, well, I need to save up $1,500 or two grand until I get that retainer for that attorney, or I'm waiting to hear from that pro bono attorney, you don't have to. You can get that ball rolling yourself. Now, uh, preparing... Of course, learning the legalese as best you can, it, it's really in your best interest to do so. So go to the government website, your local county website for more information. Now, some shelters, even they are wonderful. Many are wonderful. Now, they not only keep you when you're in that emergency, but they can also have referrals for legal counsel, uh, advocates for uh, counseling, housing, maybe you need to get a sum, maybe you need to get a down payment for utilities or a, an apartment. Some do offer the, those services, but only if you're a resident there, okay? Now, don't forget, guys can call too. This isn't just for ladies. It is for family situations as well, or male situations. Now, when you go into court, I do get this a lot. What should I wear? So what I want you to do is, first of all, if you're a woman or a guy, bring in the bare bones necessity. If you want to bring a book, because maybe I'd like you, what I'd like you to do is if you're in a volatile situation, come a little bit early, bring a book or something with you. But of course, you want to keep your head on swivel, uh, but keep yourself busy, entertained. I always brought a book with me, but I could never focus on it. But uh, maybe just sit there, get there a little early, ask and let the bailiff know that you're in a volatile situation. You don't feel safe sitting where you are out on the benches. Ask if you can go into a room or sit inside the courtroom and just wait for your own safety. Remember, be mindful of where you park when you're in that parking lot. Try and leave before your abuser does or leave, give yourself 10 or 15 minutes after that person looks like they're gone. Scope out the windows if you need to, to look in the parking lot. Park as close as you can or make sure that you're parked just in a safe area. <sighs> now, what you wear, again, when I said bear, bring in bare bones, what I would bring in is my IDs, my, my debit card, and I'd leave the rest in the trunk or if I could leave it at home, even my phone, because a lot of places don't want you to take those phones. You might have to leave them off. I just left everything in the car. Of course, my keys I kept with me. So and if I had my book, I'd bring a book. I'd bring a notebook. Please do so. Bring a notebook or some sort of paper and pen so you can take notes, maybe even a calendar. So when they mention, oh, we're going to have court again in three months or six months, it's never right away. Just warning you, it's usually never, unless it's an emergency, it's usually booked out months, months. 
in advance there. So, and I know that's a little frustrating. So maybe bring a calendar with you, but bring these things. You might have questions while you're going through proceedings that you can ask your attorney afterwards, but jot it down when you, because you're not going to be able to say, oh, I have a question about this. You might be able to whisper a little bit, but they're court's time. Boom, boom, boom. So jot the pen, paper, your IDs, just bring those in. They'll have the the um, metal detectors when you walk in, again, your phone needs to be off or just don't bring it in at all. No Kindles or anything like that. Just don't bring them in, leave them in the car. And court can be anywhere from, I think I had it for maybe 15 minutes. Sometimes it's waiting to get into court, which was longer to, to be in front of that magistrate. And 15 minutes. And then I think the longest we were there is maybe a half hour, 40 minutes, maybe. I don't even think it was that long. Uh, so it usually doesn't take that much time. Now, dressing, you want to dress professionally. You don't want to go and cut off jeans. You want to just make a good impression. You don't want uh, any ripped jeans. You don't want to wear your Metallica t-shirt or, or, you know, I, I hate... I hate the government or something like that. You want to look professional. You want to look clean. You want to look polished. Um, maybe if you're pierced on your face, maybe take some of those off. You just want to have a good presentation when you go up to court. Think about if you go to a job interview. Well, I've seen some people go to the job interviews, but back in my day, back in the eighties, when I went to, when I was told to go to that interview, you look polished, you look clean, you smell clean, you come with um, maybe some not flashy earrings, you just look presentable, not you don't necessarily have to wear a dress, but wear a nice pair of slacks. Or if you're going to wear jeans, maybe you don't have a nice pair of slacks. Wear a nice pair of jeans, no holes or anything like that, no booty jeans. Uh, wear something, just a nice blouse, a nice button-down t-shirt, not t-shirt, button-down shirt. Or if you have to wear a, a t-shirt, there's just regular plain one, plain t-shirt, something solid. But just wear something nice, like your... Um, I'm going to say go to a wedding or a funeral, but I've seen some people going to funerals and weddings and you want to look respectable. You want to look um, confident going into. Um, so just that's just a couple things off the top of my head to wear. So and what to look like. I think that's about it. I don't know if you have any other questions for me, but all means message me or comment down below. What has your experience been when you went into court for those that have? I'd like to know. You know, I'm nosy. So I hope you found some value in this. By all means, message me privately again if you have any questions or concerns. I can't remember what I'm coming on tomorrow to talk about, but I'm sure it'll be very exciting. And again, look for us in October when we do have those October 3rd for sure. I know Brianne's coming on to share her story. That's going to be on a Sunday. And then also um, Penny is going to be on the 5th. So Brianne's on the 3rd. Penny's on the 5th. And then I don't remember the rest, but that's for sure. And I'll be sprinkling in those anonymous stories from survivors as well. So thanks again. I appreciate your love, your support, your encouragement. The podcast for this will be available a little bit later. And please stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. See you tomorrow.